Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Well, hello everybody. Today in my studio with me, I've got Nick Pence, who is the most gorgeous man who owns the most gorgeous farm, who does the most gorgeous wine. Nick Pence from Krutopolis. Hi, thanks for joining me on Carrie's Corner. Carrie, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Wow. No, wow, wow, wow. And we've got such exciting news that we can tell the whole business community and everybody who's watching is that Krutopolis was put onto the shelves of the little biz news wine digital wine shop yesterday. So from sure, today, so excited. I know we're so excited. So from today on, you can pop onto biz news www.biznewsshop.com and it'll take you to the wines that we're putting into the shop and Krita Post is one of them. And I'll tell you another story that when I was down in the or oh, down, it was down, but sort of up when you're in the Cape, the West Coast. Nick popped in to visit me when I was at Longabarn and to drop off some wine, very kindly. And he gifted me a bottle of Krutopost Bubbly. And everybody knows that I've had COVID. And I think everybody must agree with me. I don't know if you've had COVID or not, Nick. Have you had it yet? No, a lot of people around me, but... Um, not you. I haven't, I've, I've never tested positive. I could maybe, but I know well, you would know because, you know, in the in the industry, we sometimes start drinking at nine o'clock in the morning. And I know that sounds awful, but not necessarily drinking, but tasting. And since COVID, I, I have to tell you that since COVID, I can hardly drink. I can't drink for pleasure. I can drink to taste, but... You feel like you've got a bubble ice before you even start drinking. So it's, this, it's the weirdest thing. I don't know if anybody else is experiencing it, but I'm finding it to be a bit of a problem. It's getting better weekly. I mean, goodness, heavens forbid that I ever can't drink in my life again. Can you imagine? That's been my, my career for 45 years. <laughs> but it's not, it's not awful, but you just, yeah, you just can't drink. So I had a couple of sips of Nick's bubbly um, looking at the beautiful blue sea at Longabon, and it is completely delicious. But we'll get on to talk about that in a minute. Nick, the floor is yours. I want you to give my listeners and my viewers a background to Hrutopos because it's got a lovely, lovely story. You're a third-generation farmer, aren't you? Well, Kerry, um, three, we are three generations on the farm as we currently speak. So my dad, who is basically the stockman, um, he was farmer of the year in South Africa in 1998 for his dairy farming. So we come from a very strong dairy farming background. And then my son has just joined us last year, Peter Jr. Um, and he's had very good exposure in the marketing world and communication. So he's... He's bringing a total different skill set and a very uh, important skill set to the business uh, yes. through that, yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, yeah, it's all about family. We've been, well, the first pensions came to South Africa in the early 1700s out of Germany. Uh, we've been five generations farming, mostly dairy, up to 20 years ago when we uh, first started making wine. 
Um, yeah, everything kind of started happening around 1992-1993, uh, like it did for the rest of the country. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. A lot of change was taking place, and so the old quota system in the wine and gray, wine grape industry f- fell away. The marketing boards fell away for agricultural produce. Yes. So it opened up the free market. It also opened opportunity for wonderful, wonderful wine areas to start producing grapes and very, very delicious and magnificent world-class wines. And, yeah. um, of course, Darling is one of them. I mean, obviously, we all know about Elgin and Durbanville and these places. But a lot of the cool climate areas started opening up um, to wine production. So we, we used to milk, in fact, I was milking cows from four in the morning until eleven at night at one stage. Um, I know you've got. A we were milking a thousand cows. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think my dad, who we all affectionately refer to as the old man, um, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you will know the old man's blend. Yes. Um, I think he kind of like figured, well, what is my son going to do between eleven p.m. and four thirty a.m. Being the German workhorse that he was. <laughs> Yeah, so let's get him to plant 120 hectares of vineyards, um, get the wine made, and then just by the way, it's got to be marketed worldwide. So, um, yeah, we, we, I think like many people, underestimated this industry. We didn't realize the investment needed. We didn't realize definitely the marketing that would be needed. Yeah. And, yeah, you're up against about 600 wineries out there. Um but, you know, when you've got great attributes um, in your hand and in your favor, you, you're just one step ahead. Now, Nick, what do you... Yeah, and Darling, you, up in the Darling Hills, we, it's just, yeah, it's cool climate. It huh? is cool climate. And what did you, um, to be serious, what swayed you to move towards wine farming? Were, was it that other people were farming vineyards around you? Or did you study viticulture at university and always want to be a wine farmer? Because, I mean, I I was married to someone who had a dairy farm, and I loved dairy farming. It's gentle. It's kind. It's lots of hard work. It's very onerous. But I love dairy farming. And it's a very different kind of farming to to wine farming. What, What made you make the decision to go wine farming? Carrie, I, I think, you know, with my dad, um, he'd always had this dream of taking his agricultural produce the next step and adding value. Um, you know, you're taking out a couple of, um, of the middlemen, if I could put it that way, and add value to your own product and create your own destiny. So, you know, he kind of said to me that, you know, in his day and when I was a youngster growing up in Tukai, we used to deliver milk door to door at people's homes to the end consumer, mm. and um, the dairy business became quite sort of sort of uh, you know taken over by the supermarkets in a way. It um, so it lost a lot of that value, a good value adding. Yes, um, and yes. also you know we with the world markets going open, open to South African wine, we saw this opportunity to start planting vines. You know, looking back and having made a lot of wine and being in the wine industry for 20 years now, one would think that that was the logical thing. But actually, we, the, when we planted our first vineyards, it wasn't our intention to make wine. I mean, we actually we actually sold the grapes for the first three, four years before we even started with the wine. So, so I think the value-adding sort of um, the value-adding spirit that my dad had in him. 
um, he saw this opportunity and he also said to me, no, Nick, we've got to produce a product that we can export. And we've got to produce a product that, that the markets are going to be looking out for. And I mean, South African wine and the opportunities on export markets, which we ourselves at Fritterpour still haven't tapped into nearly as much as we should have, um, I think largely because our wines have been sold so well locally up to now. Yes. Um, there's just potential there for our wines and for South African wines yes. is endless. I mean, our quality... Um, price ratio to, 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 yeah, it's just all there. No, listen, so, your wines, yeah, yeah. no, listen, your wines, your wines really punch above their weight. The, the, um, the value, the value for money that you get is, is amazing. And your father was 100% right. I have been, any of the farms that I have consulted to or helped over the years, I've always said to them that they needed to have a good 50% or more as export. And that's what I always told them. And I think that the, a lot of them said, no, you know, the local market is very important. And yes, indeed, it is important. But I think that the writing was on the wall about if you needed to balance the economy, the economics of your farm, you have to export. You know, what's also farms. interesting, Carrie, if you're talking about how do we get into wine and how, you know, what is the decision? Um it's very interesting. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, I mean, nowadays there are lots and lots of producers who don't necessarily own vineyards yes. and who buy in grapes and, and have wine made under contract and so on. Yes. But one of the very first people to do that and probably the pioneer of that whole movement was Neil Ellis. Quite right. And, um, yeah, and I mean, even today he has parcels of grapes that come in from different regions and he makes different wines from different appellations. And in fact, right on our, on our boundary fence, he was making, since the middle eighties, he was making exceptional Sauvignon Blanc, um, yes. his Neil Ellis Runeclus. That's quite right. It came from Darling, yeah. Yeah, and, and what still does. And, um, you know, we looked to him and we looked up to that wine as being a pioneer, a leader in the Sauvignon Blanc category. I mean, in the mid eighties, Sauvignon still wasn't known. I mean, I think it was his and in the, the claim Constantia 86 that kind of really led the way. Yeah, so we kind of, we kind of realized that we would have to have something to hang our hat on. You know, we had to have something that could lead the way for us. Um, yes. you've got to have something that, 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 you, you know, you've got to be able to stand out in the crowd. And, and Sylvia Blanc has been the varietal, the wine for us to do that with. And I mean, it's the quality and the, and the, 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 the um, the, the minerality of our whites coming out of the Darling Hills are just really exceptional. Well, you know that I am I'm a complete and utter drop-dead fan of sea salter. And anybody who has not tasted Nick Pence's sea salter needs to have their head read. Because it is, and I'm not a massive Sauvignon Blanc fan, but the sea salter that you make has a goodly dollop of, of semillon splashed into it, which makes it sort of waxy and full and round and honeyed. and It's just beautiful. And that sea salter Sauvignon Blanc from Grote Past has to be, in my book, one of the best Sauvignon Blancs available on the shelves at the moment. It is gorgeous, Nick. It really, congratulations. It is the best Sauvignon Blanc. I tasted that, and then there was another one that I tasted the other. Oh, um, Etienne Bass sent me from um, 
Fred and List, he sent me their barrique, which is the same thing. It's Sauvignon Blanc with quite a goodly dollop of semillon in it. And I think that the two of you have just got that that little sort of, it's a French blend really, or that's how the French serve up their Sauvignon Blanc, isn't it, with a splash of semillon in it. And I just think that they really, really are top, top, top super smart wines. Balance, flavor, aromatics, acid, fruit, it's all there in balance like you cannot believe it's fabulous wine. Yes, no, thank you, Carrie. Thank you very much. Yeah, we've, um, yeah, Lucas, um, he's been making our wines for 20 years now. He's, he's been, you know, he's been credit to him. You know, he's been playing around with oak and Sauvignon Blanc for quite a long time now. Yes. And, um, yes. we've always wanted to find a home for that wine. Yes. And, um, yes. You know, it's kind of the wine that appeals to Sauvignon Blanc enthusiasts as well as those that aren't particularly fond of all of the um, run-of-the-mill Sauvignon Blanc attributes. Yes. Are also yes. taking on, you know, they're also getting onto the sea salter. Mm. Um, so what we've got, you know, Lucas, is a, it does about 20% of the, of the Sauvignon will be in, in oak for f- new barrels for five months. Mm. We've got about 10% um, semillon in there. So, as you said, the Semillon is bringing a really wonderful sort of complexity to the oh, wine. The oaking is just rounding off the wine magnificently. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we've gone for a, a really you know, attractive packaging and then the blue label. Oh, um, pretty, Something pretty. that's quite, quite different from yeah, the Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. And then, Nick, while we're on the story of salt, you've also got the salt of the earth. Talk to the listeners about Salt of the Earth because that's also top end. I mean, it's just a cracker of a wine. Okay, so where's um, sea salt is essentially a tribute to the uh, the climate that we experience here in Darling with the, with the cooling conditions of the Atlantic, and you know it also showcases the minerality of our white wines. Um, the Salt of the Earth is our red um, our red wine, which. It's a wine that, that gives Lucas license to sort of reach out and buy in other components of wines, of grapes that, um, that we don't necessarily grow, but are grown in the Darling area. So it's kind of a wine that pays tribute more to the soils of, of the Darling, Darling Hills, the Dar- wider Darling area. Yes. And so, and you know, when you talk about somebody as being salt of the earth, they're like really genuine people. The best. They, yes. um, <laughs> you know, they're people that will go that extra mile with you. So, you know, that as well, paying tribute to the people of Darling. Um, so there he's reached out for a, for a, for a, a third of the wine is, is made up of Sinso, which comes from a really old bushvine block that was planted in the mid seventies. Um, about four or five kilometers as the crow flies from where we are, just a little bit more on the eastern side of, of Darling. And then the, the Shiraz component, which is two-thirds of the wine, is, is partly our own Shiraz and also partly bought in from other Darling um, grape growers. So you've got such a big farm and you're still buying in grapes. Hmm? Haven't you got enough grapes to make all your own? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Carrie, just about really. But you know, this whole process of planting grapes, getting them into production, getting them to maturity—it's it's a ten, you know, it's a it's a ten-year program kind yeah. of thing. You know, and yeah, yeah. And, and and if you decide, and, and Lucas decided, he, you know, he, he wants to use an experiment with a little bit with with Sinso, for instance. 
you know, then, you know, it's very difficult to sort of wait out all those years to get um, new vineyards into production. Yes. Um, but that said, you know, we are planting and replanting vineyards now every year, uh, which we, which is very important. I mean, the lifetime of a vineyard is around about, productive lifetime, around about 25 years. Yes. So we've kind of like pretty well started, you know, coming to, to the end of that first cycle of, of, of vineyards on, on Kruta Post and we're starting on a re- replacement and a replanting program, which is also very exciting, bringing in new clones and, um, and, and, and a couple of new varietals going forward. But yes. Sonia Blanc will still lead the way. And um, what's actually quite scary about it, Carrie, is that generally, you know, you only get two shots at planting vineyard, huh? Yeah. You know, if you look at 25 down from now, That's right. you know, you and I won't be sitting around no, a mic anymore. absolutely. In fact, you should make your son plant the next 25 and you should sit on the veranda and drink your lot. <laughs> That's how it should be. Well, well, the next 25 will be for him and, and, <laughs> and his brother. So, yes. um, Nick, you've got the, um, you've definitely made a stamp for yourselves. You have, you can definitely hang your hats on serving your blunt because you are synonymous with that. And I think that you have really set the scene for that area that Hruta Post is in. As soon as you say Hruta Post, everybody says, oh, have you tasted the Sauvignon Blanc from Hruta Post? And then it, it spurred people on to go and taste the Sauvignon Blanc from other farms, Alexander Fontaine, Darling Sellers, all of that. I mean, they're massive producers. You just, when you're on the way to the area, there's just hundreds and hundreds of hectares, what seemingly looks like hundreds of hectares of vineyard planted there but you have really sort of set the scene for that area and everybody is now waking up and saying taste the Sauvignon Blanc from the Darling area but more than that you have as I said earlier I alluded to your bubbly which I honestly do believe is fabulous fabulous bubbly at the right price it's your pricing is so reasonable bubbly is an expensive thing to make Nick are you making it from the grapes on your farm? Is that Chardonnay and Pinot Noir that's coming off your farm? Yeah, it's all Chardonnay and Pinot or Fruta Pushed. Um, you know, once again, the cool climate, the, the wonderful growing conditions we yeah. have produces grapes with a really good acidity, a high acidity, and, um, and, and you know, that is the, one of the main ingredients for making good champagne or yes. uh, how do we call it, um, MCC. Uh, of seek in, in, yeah, MCC in South Africa. And um, previously we had actually been selling surplus grapes to a couple of other um, MCC producers and they'd actually been absolutely thrilled at the quality. Yeah. But it is a, it is a, it's a process, you know, um, the MCC association also becoming more stricter and stricter as to the time that the wine needs to spend in, on the lees in the bottle before yes. disgorging. So which is a good thing for quality. So it used to be a, a minimum of seven months. It's now a year mm. that it has to be in bottle. Um, I think they're looking at extending that again as well. Yes. So yeah, we, we do a, we do a brute, um, which we've actually only introduced, um, now about eight months ago, but we've been doing a brute rose for quite a while, about five, six years. It's delightful. It's pretty. It's clean. It's fresh. It's light enough. I mean, you could start having that with breakfast on a Sunday morning. That Brut Rosé, hey, you could definitely do that with creamy scrambled eggs for, for breakfast on Sunday morning. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. In fact, I might get up straight away now and go and do that. Good. I mean, it is, it is think... Friday, Carrie. <laughs> it's really Sunday. Like... 
Then, Nick, in addition to, I mean, you've got a, a very nice um, broad selection of labels for the purchaser to choose from because you've got something that ticks everybody's box. But I know that now with everybody sort of counting their pennies um, following following COVID, there are a lot of people who can't really go and splash out on hugely expensive bottles of wine. And that's where I love your old man's blend. And you alluded earlier. Firstly, tell us the story of old man's blend. I assume it's either your grandfather or your or your father who was old man. It's a wonderful wine because you can give it to your father for his birthday, for Father's Day, for whatever. But you can just drink it every day and you make an old man's white as well. So tell us about those. Yeah, so the red and the white are both tributes to my father for his um Peter Pence for his change from, from dairy farming to, to wine farming. Um, and, yeah, the, the name came around uh, going back about 17, 18 years now. When we were sort of predominantly, when we started out, we were mostly making white wine. And then my dad asked Lucas um, to put together a red blend for his his own enjoyment at home at night. And... and um, the one day he was on the phone to Volna, who does our, all our administration. Yes, we and, love Volna. She's so efficient. Yeah, well, Volna is really um, an anchor of the business. And yes. um, and uh, he said to her, "Just remember that when Rob, who does who's, who does our books, um, when he comes back to Cape Town tonight, he must please bring a case of my red blend." And just before my dad put the phone down, he overheard Volna saying to Lucas. Um, Lucas, just remember tomorrow, tonight, uh, late after you just you must load up a case of the old man's blend <laughs> to, go, <laughs> to go through for Mr. Pence. Uh, yeah. So when my dad got to the farm the next day, he called me and he said to me, "Nick, I've got I've got the name for that wine." And it's perfect, it's isn't be, it? It's just it can be called the old man's perfect. blend. Yeah. And what goes so it's, not a, it's not a wine for any old man. It's it's, it's a tribute. It's a um, well, it's a wine for anybody and everybody. But it pays tribute to a very special old man and the pioneer of, of our business and oh, patriarch of the family. And um, I've always said, and my dad's always said that, um, it, and his instruction to Lucas is that, you know, we've got to be able to drink it every day, yes. be absolutely enjoyable, good fruit, uh, good balance. And, I mean, both old man's blends, and, I mean, the, the, the white is predominantly Sauvignon Blanc. It's about, it varies from year to year, 70 to 80% Sauvignon. But, I mean, both really, really, you know, they're incredibly good value for money. And um, Unbelievable. What goes really, into the red old man's blend? Is that Merlot largely or Cab and Merlot? Or what? Yeah, it, 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 it varies a bit from year to year, but it's generally it's, it's 40 45% Merlot and 40 45% Cab. Yes. And then about 10 15% Shiraz. Um, right. Just by the way, carry on. It, it also it comes in Magnum, so oh, that's right. It does. Wonderful, wonderful for the dinner table, uh, for the dinner party. That is what everybody's got to start buying in for Christmas. That's what's going to be on my Christmas turkey table is a big Magnum of Old Man's Blend, white and red. That's a fantastic idea. So, so the so the old man comes in upsize. <laughs> It had to be. So it had to be. The pincers, the pincers are generally quite big chips. <laughs> so the wine, the wine's got to be big. The yes. wine's got to be big in flavour. And, 
and yeah, make it a bottle. Be, it's going to be a big bottle as well, okay? <laughs> Fantastic. And Nick, have you just got the two boys? You've got two sons. Or do you have yeah, daughters well, as well? Yeah, started with us in the business last year. He's 25, Peter, Peter Jr. Yes. And then um, my daughter's studying Lord Selenbosch. She's 23. And then my son, Josh, is in in matric um, at Paul Boys High, in fact, studying for his, I hope he's studying today. He's got, he's got his matric exam starting oh, in two, three weeks' time. So, and, well, good luck for yeah. those. And, Nick, um, do both of your boys want to, both of your boys want to go into the family business? Yeah, Josh is, Josh is very interested in the farming side of things. So, um, uh, yeah, he, he, he'd, be, he'd be hopefully joining us on, on the farming side. And Nick, do you still do you still do your dairy? Is your dairy still as big as it used to be? No, no, we we actually sold off the dairy about uh, twenty years ago, Kerry. But but the old man is a stockman of heart, um, and you know he he loves his cattle. So his oh. love for cattle has carried on through um, his Angus. Uh, we've got an Angus stud, a red and black Angus, mostly red Angus, oh. and. Um, yeah, then also we've got running on extensive parts of the property. Um, we've got um, Nguni, a commercial Nguni, oh. Nguni herd as well. Tell me, can you eat an Nguni cow quite happily? I mean, is is Nguni meat good? Nguni meat is great. It's, it's lean, it's um, tasty, um, incredibly good. Um, they're just so, they're so beautiful. I mean, I have to confess that that when we had that, that farm, there was also a dairy farm, big dairy farm, and then there was also there was Drakensburgers that they used to farm for stud and for beef and stuff. And I actually couldn't do it. I just couldn't. When that truck came from the abattoir to come and fetch my cows, I couldn't do it. So we had to stop. We had to stop beef farming. It was becoming way too upsetting for me. They are such gorgeous animals. They really, they, they become pets. They love to be stroked and cuddled. They're just gorgeous. You've got to have a very um, special mindset to be able to farm animals for eating. And I say that as a person who's not a vegan or a vegetarian, but somehow there's a, there's a terrible, um, a ghastly comfort in buying meat from a butcher or a supermarket where you don't have to look the cow in the eye, do you? Milk is great because they stand there and be milk, but for the rest, gosh, I don't know how us as a as a human race are really a sorry lot, aren't we? That we actually we breed animals specifically to eat them. Do you suppose anywhere else in the galaxies people do that? I haven't ventured out. To you haven't thought that. about. <laughs> <laughs> I'll only go there. I'll only go there and have a look if there's enough wine on. on, oh, on me offer. too. Me too. And I think wine farming is is gentle and lovely as well. Wine farming is such a special thing. Is your daughter going to be involved in the wine industry? Um, do I don't know yet. She's she's still busy with her studies and. Um, yeah, so she's following the legal the, the um, her legal studies, finishing up with that. So, Nick, you were born in Cape Town, and your family moved to the farm when you were, what, in your 20s or something? Yeah, well, I grew up on a, on a dairy farm in Tukai, actually. Oh, is that um, where the dairy farm was? Yeah, right next to Steenberg Estate, in fact. And in those days, Steenberg was a, was a um, table grape producing, a hundred producing farm. And, really? um yeah, so we um we had we, my dad had a dairy farm in 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 Philippi as well. Yeah, 
Um, and then my, my dad and grandpa bought, bought out here in, um, in Darling in 1972. Because as the city was developing, you know, they, they realized that eventually they'd have to move all the cattle out of the city. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, back in the early days, I mean, milk was, was pasteurized and, and delivered, um, you know, delivered door to door. So yes. We used to have those like little farms, milk trolleys. Do you remember those milk trolleys? Yeah, so, yeah electric carts that yeah. went out and delivered. You put your coupon out. That's it. So in those days, the dairy farms had, had to be closer to the, to, um, the residential areas to be able to do that. Yes. Um, but nowadays yes. with modern transport, tanker transport and everything, you know, dairy mm. farms can be mm. further out. And um, the supermarket revolution of the 70s also brought a, you know, put a kind of put a stop to, to the um, home deliveries in a way. Yes. Um, yes. And, um, yeah, it became more sort of centralized. Yes. Well, for anybody who wants to go and visit, I'm sure that the farm is open for tasting and for visits over the weekend. And guys, I have to tell you that that part of, of the Western Cape is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. You must wake up every morning, Nick Pence, and pinch your cheeks and say, is this really real? Am I this lucky to be here? Yeah, we're very blessed. I must say, you know, we, we're only an hour's drive from Cape Town, but you really feel a million miles away. Oh, it's, it's um, so pretty. Uh, yeah, and I mean the springtime here in August, September with the wildflowers. It's, it's a it's a spread of wildflowers that's absolutely unique in the world. It's, yes. It's, um, you know, obviously the whole West coast is well known for its wildflowers, but we have an incredible spread here where we are. Yes. Um, yes. We also share a game camp with our neighbours, so we've got um, a whole lot of plains antelope. Oh wow! We got giraffes. So yeah, we do drives that we take people out for a two-hour drive to have a look at the antelope and the giraffe and. And we end up, of course, we end up with some wine. Of course, you do. End of the trip is, is up in up into the vineyards and a bit of a cheese and wine. Oh gosh, that sounds like heaven. We got a little restaurant on the farm, um, Hilda's Kitchen. Uh, we do lunches five days a week, um, and then yeah, a little uh, you know little walking route that you can go on a walk. You got a bird hide on the dam. Guys, I think that Nick Pence. I think Nick Pence is is. I think that Nick Pence is playing this down very much. He is very humble and very modest, and he heads up an incredibly an incredibly impressive business that is very successful that produces some of my favorite wine. So if you want to be part of that, please do jump onto that Biz News shop website. It's so easy. I tried doing it myself because we always give everything a test run before we do it. And it's like knife through butter. It's just seamless. It runs very easily. You jump on the site. You choose the bottle of post that you want. You have to buy it in cases of six, which is no hardship because it gets thrown down the throat quite quite easily. And I really would encourage you to explore the world of Frutapost. The wine is quite delicious. Nick, thank you for joining me on Carrie's Corner. And here's to lots and lots of sales for you and Alec.